And Father, we pray for those who have asked interest in our prayers this morning. We pray for Hannah Argo Peck. We pray for her special care and improvement. We pray for Sister Connie Mooney that uh, the fall did minimal damage and that she could recover. And now we ask that you go with us as we worship thee. We love you, Father. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. morning. First song this morning will be Great Are You, Lord.
Most beautiful, loving, and gracious Heavenly Father, we, we're so thankful that you let us get up this beautiful, sunny Sunday morning and come and worship you. We're thankful for the blessings of health that you've given us. And God, we know there's many that are sick and have lost loved ones. And God, we ask that you comfort them as only you can and give us the ability to help those that are in need. God, we're thankful this morning that you are all-powerful and all-knowing. And God, we're weak and we don't know much. But God, we're thankful that we know about your son Jesus and the, his life and his death and his resurrection. And that we got to come into contact with his blood. And, and God, that's why we're here this morning and we're so thankful for that. And God, we know your word tells us how powerful hope and faith and love are and we just ask this morning that you fill us with faith and hope and especially love. Because God, this world is, we know, filled with evil and we know there's an evil one. But God, you tell us not to be overcome with evil, but to overcome evil with good. And this morning, God, we pray that we can do that each and every day in our own lives that we can Get up each morning and overcome evil with good by doing the best we can to serve you. Please be with us this morning as we continue in worship. Please be with Brother Ken as he brings us a lesson. And God, please forgive us where we failed you. In Jesus' name, amen. Song of invitation after the lesson will be, There's a Fountain Free. Song before the lesson this morning will be God's Family. I know y'all are real sleepy, probably a lot of you, but y'all go ahead and stand up. We'll sing this song together. <clears throat>
from 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 2 Corinthians chapter 2 verses 10 through 11 To whom you forgive anything I forgive also for if I for if I forgave anything to whom I forgave it for your sakes forgave I it in the person of Christ lest Satan should get an advantage of us for we are not ignorant of his devices Good morning, everybody. Isn't it refreshing to lose that hour of sleep and to get up knowing that you've already moved forward into the next day? It's thrilling. You wake up already energized, right? Because you're already an hour ahead of where you were last time. It just, it just fills you with all the energy and vigor that you could possibly hope for. In fact, I asked someone this morning, how are you doing? They said, never better. So let's all feel that way today, okay? And if you don't actually feel that way, 
if you really are dragging, then just, just use the power of that mind that you have to engage and to really contemplate the things that we're doing. Listen, in worship to God, is there anything more beautiful, anything more expressive than the time that we can actually, all of us together, as God's family, worship God in spirit and in truth? Is there? Shake your head this way. No, there is no such a thing like it. So here we are with the mind and the heart and the enthusiasm to serve God with all that we have this morning. Today we're going to talk about how in the world it is that we will be able to undermine Satan's devices. Probably you're already aware of the things that Satan intends and tries to do to you in order to thwart and upset the desire that you have to serve God. And it may be that at some point you just want to throw up your hands and give up. Don't do that. That's a part of the tactic. Let's be certain today that we are thrilled at the prospect of serving God. And if the challenges from Satan come, I pray that we'll be ready to face them. Okay? Let's pray together as we begin our study. Our Father in heaven, thank you for this time. That in addition to singing praises to you and coming to you in prayer and lifting up your name, for the occasion that we will have to assemble around the table and to remember the death of Jesus and to give of our means joyfully and having planned to participate in the work of this church. Now, Father, as we are entering into your word, I pray that this, this period of contemplation and meditation upon your word will be effective in helping us to understand how it is that we can effectively undermine Satan's devices. He is a powerful being. We do not underestimate him in any way. He had the audacity even to attempt an effort of a coup and to upset our Lord's work on the earth. And yet, by the example of Jesus in overcoming those temptations, we are inspired. While we are frail humans, we know that by your power we can be successful. And so, Father, today I pray that you'll make those avenues apparent to us and that we will actually use them. Help us to have a stubborn commitment to the things that we're involved in. Help us to have a spiritual focus that will enable us to keep our minds on the things that are necessary. And help us, Father, to have a strong will about us that we will never give in. Thank you, Father, for how you will empower us today and make these things useful in our daily fight. In Jesus' name, amen. If you are a preacher or a teacher or someone involved in the sharing of God's good news, which I hope is true of all of us, then you will realize at some point, whether you have realized it up until now or not, that you have a great challenge before you. You have the challenge of doing the very best that you can to rescue those who have been enslaved who have been taken captive 
by Satan himself. In the book of 2 Timothy, chapter 2, verses 24, 25, 26, we kind of have the challenge laid out there before us. The challenge that despite all that we see around us, that we're going to do our very best to free those who have become captives. There isn't any, I guess, better description of those activities than what you find in a couple of verses, like Galatians 6, verse 1. If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. Fulfill the law of Christ to love your neighbor as yourself. Do that by being aware of the struggles that your brothers and sisters are facing. And when you perceive that someone is struggling, is in that battle, then you go to the rescue. But be certain that you consider yourself. Don't go in there with this high-mindedness that says, I'm the rescuer. Have the sense of humility that says, you know what, where you are, I very well myself could be. I want to see your deliverance, but I do not assume. I don't have the high-mindedness or the self-righteousness to say that I could never fall to that place because absolutely, given the right circumstances, any of us could fall prey to any temptation and trial. In the book of James, chapter 5, verses 19 and 20, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, if he's led astray, if he's drawn away from the truth, in this case, we're to go and try to bring them back. And, and he gives this beautiful caveat about the saving of that soul, that we have saved a soul from death and we've covered a multitude of sins. There is the peril that a person who has wandered away or been been led astray, one who has gone away from the place of safety, when they get into that condition, in the moment, they are absolutely lost. And when we bring them back to the place of safety, we have saved a soul from absolute death. We have been able to cover that sin that had beset them. You and I if we are preachers, if we are teachers, if we are interested parties in the sharing of the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, then absolutely we are in the activity, the process of trying to save those who have been enslaved because of sin. And Satan is happy to keep that reserve, to keep us discouraged so that we won't reach out to those who have gone astray. In the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 2, which is our text passage, earlier in this text, beginning at verse 3 and going through verse 9, there had been a case of someone caught in sin, just like what we've described here. And no one had gone after him. Ultimately, I believe, as just described in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, the apostle Paul gets involved and he shames the church for their lack of action. Ultimately, not only Paul, but the church becomes active in seeking to bring that soul back. But you know, 
They're not interested in coming back immediately. Sin has its way of holding on to us, making us feel comfortable where we are with the choice that we have made against the will of God. And such apparently was the case of this individual. So this text says, you know what? Eventually, eventually, such concern and desire to bring that soul back was fruitful. But he said, you know what? Now, now we need to be careful on the other side of that. Let's be certain, for instance, that we don't be too severe is the word that he uses. That we forgive and we comfort them so that they don't become swallowed up with too much sorrow. You know, we can get excited about saving souls. And we can have such an ire, such a, such a distaste for sinful practices, sometimes certain practices more than others. We become frustrated with the sin of the individual and we take out our righteous indignation on them. We are going to be a champion for the Lord and we're going to squash that sin. But be certain that in the process of squashing the sin with the effort of bringing a soul back into a relationship with the Lord that we don't actually squash the sinner himself. Our desire ought to be to bring them back into, well, what we sang about a moment ago, the family of God. Isn't it that we want to see everybody saved as Jesus desired to seek and to save the lost? If that's true, then yes, we have to have an abhorrence for the sin that is around us. Yes, we must stand up for the truth, but be certain, and listen to these words again, that we are not so severe that in the process of bringing them back and they receive forgiveness, that we give them comfort. We help them to realize that, yeah, you know, in forgiveness, you actually were forgiven. God's brought you back into fellowship. And that we don't so grieve another Christian, a fellow brother and sister, to the extent that we squash them, that, that we bring on them so much sorrow that they can't come back. Satan will use even our very best efforts in order to accomplish his own ends. And by the way, Satan. In 1 Peter chapter 4 and verse 7 and 8, we find out, or chapter 5, verses 7 and 8, we find out that he is actually our, advers our adversary, the one who is against us. His desire is our destruction. And it isn't like we can kind of sneak away, you know, move away from the influence that he has. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 4, we find out that he is the God of this world. Or the text actually in some translations, instead of world, has of this age. And we'll go into that a little bit here in a moment. He is the God of this world or the God of this age. I ask, if, if he is so powerful, if he is my adversary, if he is the one who will never stop, who will never cease fire, who will always look for an opportunity to have an inroad with me, to cause me to stumble, to be led astray into sin, to be deceived, 
If He is the one who will do that, then I'm wondering what in the world Paul's talking about there in verse 11 of the text it was read. He says that we're not ignorant of His devices. It just kind of seems like if I know how he's going to do it, if I know what his devices are, his practice against me in order to lead me to sin, if I kind of know that, seems like I would always be ready, right? So how is it that you and I can undermine Satan's devices, whatever they are? Well, first, as I mentioned in the prayer, you and I are going to have to have a stubborn commitment if we're going to undermine Satan's devices. A stubborn commitment. In other words, I'm going to be committed to the Lord and I am not moving away from it. Now, let's go for a moment and think about the initial interaction between Satan and human beings and see how that went. (laughs) Well, if you've read the scriptures, you started at at Genesis, that was one of the first things you read about, was that interaction between Satan and human beings, the very first ones. And and by the way, I want to say this, when God created Adam, God created, in what was God's mind, the perfect human being. You know, after many ages and and, uh, lots of children being born, by the time we get here to where we are, there have been a lot of a lot of water under the bridge and, and you know, defects and, and variations in instruction and all of that. As we grow up, we're all different and some are smart, some are not so smart, some are very fit, some are not very fit. We're all kind of in a mix. We're all different. When God created Adam, he created what he believed to be the perfect male. And when he created the woman from that perfect male, he created her to be the perfect female. So back there in the garden, we're not talking about some imbeciles. We're talking about two human beings who are about as intelligent and about as physically capable as any human beings who have ever lived. In Genesis chapter 3, the interaction, the first 19 verses... In this text, we see a special emphasis upon Eve. Eve believes what she has heard from Satan. And she obeys his lie. They were told by God not to eat of the fruit that comes from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. For in the day that they eat of it, they will surely die. Satan says, no, you will not die, but you'll be like God, knowing good and evil. And boy, that was just tantalizing to Eve. She believed the lie and she obeyed it. In 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 3, it says that she was deceived because of his craftiness. Satan was crafty. He was dealing with the most intelligent beings probably who ever lived. Adam and Eve, perfectly fashioned by God, but she was deceived because he was so crafty. Now, you know where I'm kind of going with that, just sort of insinuating that if Eve fell prey to that, as intelligent as she must have been, then how easy could Satan take me? 
as crafty as he was with her, how easy would it be for Satan in his craftiness to deceive me? Well, probably would be pretty easy. In fact, we often talk about the one sin that Adam and Eve committed without even talking about the multiplicity of sins we commit, not for a lifetime, but maybe a day. But it didn't stop with Eve. Because Adam, according to Genesis chapter 3, verse 17, he listened to his wife. Some translations have this wording, that he heeded unto her word. He listened to what she said. He thought, okay. And he ate of that and he sinned too. Satan was crafty in his dealing with those human beings. But let's go a little deeper because, you know, when Satan was talking with Adam and Eve, he only added one word to the whole situation. Instead of, you will surely die, he said, you will not surely die. Changed the whole, whole understanding, right? He perverted the word of God. To pervert it is to put something foreign into it. And Satan has been in the process of perverting God's word from the very beginning. And he hasn't stopped. In 2 Corinthians, again, chapter 11, at verses 14 and 15, something's said about Satan that maybe we don't talk too much about. Because it would be important for us to understand, given given the deceitfulness, given the, the, the divisive way that he deals with us. That text says, well, really two things. One has to do with him, and one has to do with those who serve him, his ministers. As regards Satan himself, it says that he makes himself an angel of light. Now, you might be able to easily see when Satan is involved in the process of someone committing a blatant and obvious sin. But, but when it comes to, say, say, church doctrine, you know, maybe it's not so easy to see just the, the very, very simple things that Satan is able to do under the guise of an angel of light in order to change our thinking about the way God operates or what God expects of us. That's perverting God's Word. But then he also adds that it isn't just Satan who's presenting himself or being transformed into an angel of light, but he says his ministers transform themselves into ministers of righteousness. That is what they do appears to be righteous, appears to be good and just. But again, it's a perversion. It isn't ab actually the truth. So Satan, Satan, you talk about crafty. He didn't present himself with a long tail with a fork on the end of it and a big, you know, forked uh, pitchfork and, and horns on his head and he's red and easy to, easy to see. He presents himself probably in the form of somebody you know or you trust. Somebody that you think, quote unquote, is an angel of light. Someone you think quote-unquote, is a minister of righteousness. That happens with the plan of salvation. People will take away or add to that plan. That happens with worship. Add to or take away. 
Oh, it's just a matter of opinion, someone might say. And then we just begin to look at whose opinions we value. And, and how do we measure that? Well, we say those are righteous people. But have they actually become ministers of righteousness? Not serving God, but serving Satan's perversion. We need to be very careful about the things that we hold on to. But, but then again, when we do hold on, let's hold on to the things that are of true righteousness, those things which have not been perverted. 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 2 tells us that we are to hold on to the word of truth. Hold on to that word that was preached to you, he says. In 1 Corinthians chapter 16 and verse 13, watch, stand fast in the faith, be brave, be strong. Let all that you do be done with love, as Guy was praying about a moment ago. In Philippians chapter 1 and verse 27, stand fast in one spirit with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. The idea of striving means that we are digging in and we're fighting for it. It is a battle every single day in every exchange that we have with another human being. The fight that we have to be sure that the truth of the gospel is being expressed. He said, stand on that. In chapter 4 and verse 1, he says, stand fast in the Lord. In 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 21, test all things, hold fast what is good, abstain from every form or appearance of evil. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 15, stand fast and hold the traditions which you were taught, whether by word or our epistle. I just ask the question that begs to be asked in all of these questions, or all of these statements, why is it we're being told to hold on or to hold fast? Why is it we're being told to stand? It's because of the continual effort around us to move us away from the truth to follow after some kind of perverted message that is not from God, but is from that crafty Satan himself. Look, if we're going to undermine Satan's devices, then we are going to have to have a stubborn commitment to the truth. And we're also going to have to have a spiritual focus a spiritual focus. Okay, so the text said from 2 Corinthians 4 and verse 4 that Satan is the God, little g God. He is the God. He is the, he is the perceived deity in the minds of those who are worldly people. He's like the pinnacle of worldliness. He is the God of this world. Or, actually, that should be translated age, the God of this age. It isn't trying to tell us that he is the God over the whole planet. That isn't the idea. To be the God over this world or the God over this age means that he presents himself as being the authority in the moment. With the end desire of creating in us a need for satisfaction. And you've heard this a million times. You say, well, when would you like to have that? You say, well, I'd like to have it yesterday. <laughs> you know, I can't get it quick enough. And it's kind of on that basis of the neediness that we have, our desire for things. It's become so innate in us that things like Amazon 
and even, even Walmart with its delivery systems, all of those fancy delivery systems, UPS and, and FedEx that try to get a thing to you as quickly as possible is based on that need that we, we have within us to get it now. And then when we finally, it's like we, we have stewed over this thing for days. We just, we're just so lusting after the possession of whatever it is. When it finally comes, it's like, yes! And then it's no longer our pursuit. It just kind of gets on the shelf with everything else. We have it now. Satan is the God of this age, the God of immediacy. I want it, and I want it right now. So with that idea, I think about those couple who are described in Scripture as it's just having a different sense of things, like with Moses. You know, Moses in his own time, being thought of by many people as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, could have had anything at his disposal. He could have been like we are in this modern age. He wanted it, and it would get to him as fast as possible. But according to Hebrews chapter 11, verses 24 and 25, the faith of Moses is demonstrated in the fact that he didn't consider, he didn't didn't want to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he decided to pitch his tent, to live his life, to have his identity with the people of God, and did not measure himself on the basis of the desire for things, for possessions, for the here and now. It's kind of like Luke 12, 15, where one's life is not measured or based or considered along the lines of the things that he possesses. That, that isn't what is our measure. It isn't what we have that makes our worth. We're much more than our connection to worldly and physical things. But I'm just telling you that Satan's desire is to hook us up into those things. He's the God of the here and now, of this age, of the moment, to act. So when I think of us, I think, well, you know what? We live in the moment. I mean, we're here in this moment. We are people of the present too. So if Satan is kind of in that mix, then I see. There are many opportunities for him, even with my best effort and and with a heart that's having a desire to do what's right, there's always, with him so close in this age with me, to be able to influence me. Uh, Absolutely. That's what all these warnings are about, and that's why we need to understand his devices. How are we going to undermine that? And so, here I have, yeah, I'm in the moment, but the thing that's different about us is what we sang about a moment ago. I really appreciate the songs and the, the selections because... It emphasized that, yeah, you know what, we are here, we do enjoy our Christian life, but there is that peril that exists. And so as I'm living the Christian life in the present, I'm also having a hope for things that are in the future. That is my eternal life someday. 1 Peter chapter 1, beginning at verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His abundant mercy has begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, and that doesn't fade away, reserved in heaven for you. 
who are kept by the power of God through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. It's going to be revealed, but, but I'm living it now. I'm, I'm striving to be different from the world, this age that is ruled by Satan. But at the same time, I'm keeping my mind focused on what is to come. I'm thinking about heaven someday. Colossians chapter 3. If then you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on things on the earth. For you died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. We are living for something so much greater than the here and now. We have a spiritual focus. And as long as we keep our spirits focused on heaven and the goal of eternal life someday, then we will be able by that measure to undermine Satan's devices, at least in the here and now. But we also have to have a very strong will. Very strong will. What do you mean a strong will? Well, I know what God's will is. I'm going to be in tune with God's will and then I'm going to reinforce it. I'm going to live it. I'm going to act it. But I, I'm, I'm just going to tell you. What Satan does when he looks at you, he doesn't say, oh, right there, there's Ken's best. I'm going to attack him where he is the best. He's not going to do that. He is going to exploit my weaknesses. He's going to exploit your weaknesses. We talk about Jesus and his temptations, Matthew chapter 4. We talk about how he had success. But think about that for a moment. Jesus' temptation in Matthew chapter 4. How, if you are Satan, the crafty one, the one who went up against God's very best, Adam and Eve, and was successful, how is it that you're going to step up your game? How are you going to confront and win over the Son of God Himself? I'll tell you how you're going to do it, or how you're going to attempt to do it. You're going to try to hit Him where He's weak. You are not going to go head on with the Son of God. That is suicide. But you are going to attempt to find a weakness in Jesus. So Jesus has been fasting for 40 days and 40 nights. He's hungry. Maybe I can get him there. But not so. Uh, wait a minute. Now, I know that he's striving in his faithfulness to God and his teaching to bring glory to God. Maybe if I can just kind of play on that idea of receiving glory. If I could just get him so desirous of glory, I could win there. And he was not successful. And finally, you know, the very thing that Jesus came to do to establish a kingdom... Satan is going to hit that weakness right there. I can give you the quickest route to kingdom ownership of anybody. I'm the God of this age. I'm the God of this moment. I can give you every kingdom that you see right now if you only bow down and worship me. Now, you know the result of every single one of those temptations. Those efforts at Jesus' supposed weakness was Jesus responding with, It is written. Well, there's the key. There's the answer. If any of us are going to win against the onslaught of Satan's efforts, then we are going to have to be 
like Jesus. In the sense that even though we live in the here and now, our mind is set on heaven and our effort to undermine Satan's devices is going to come as a result of our knowledge of the Word of God. Satan, in this moment, it is written. Well, been a lot of people who had access to Jesus, the teachings, but didn't fare so well. I think of Judas, for instance. Judas, Judas was right there with Jesus, saw the miracles, heard the teachings, had great responsibility as the keeper of the funds. But in Luke chapter 22, verse 3, Satan entered Judas. Well, he failed, didn't he? And Ananias and Sapphira, Acts chapter 5, members of the Lord's church. And there's a campaign to raise some money, and they have some stuff, and they'll give it. But in Acts chapter 5 and verse 3, a similar thing. Right there's Satan again, entering into their heart. Satan's right there. Even with some people's best efforts, or even halfway efforts maybe, he's not to be trifled with. They gave up. They did not remain spiritually focused. Judas did not keep his mind, his eye on the prize. He fell to the here and now in the moment of this age and and he was eaten up by Satan. Ananias and Sapphira seeking the acclaim of brothers and sisters, perhaps like Barnabas had received in the previous chapter, now has succumbed and they all died because of their sins their lack of faith and trust in the Lord for deliverance, the lack of knowledge scripturally to be able to fortify themselves in a moment of weakness. Now, I even think of those who, for all intents and purposes, are our heroes in the faith. You could go back to Adam and Eve and say, Adam and Eve, they sinned because they partook of the fruit that they were forbidden to partake of, but they overcame that. I think of somebody like Noah. Noah, wow, man of great faith. Look at him, builds an ark, saving of his household. Yeah, but he became drunk. He sinned. Or how about Abraham? Yeah, Abraham lied several times. Jacob, Jacob cheated in order to get the blessings that he had. What about Moses? Moses was a murderer. He murdered that Egyptian before he ever began his work as a deliverer of Israel. What about somebody like Rahab? Rahab prostituted herself. David, her descendant, by the way, was a fornicator. Jonah, he fled God's command to go and preach to Nineveh. Thomas was a doubter. Peter denied the Lord. 
The man who would become the Apostle Paul, the one that we're reading about right here, who's talking so much about forgiveness and restoring people to the faith, that guy was a persecutor of Christians. And every single one in their moment of failure, yeah, the God of this world took advantage of them. The one thing they did not do was give up. They did not say, oh, well, I've lied or I've fornicated or I've stolen, I've cheated, and so it's over for me. You know, Satan will come at you in your moment of weakness when you commit your sin, when you have given up for some reason, whatever reason, for his deceit, in your life for the way that he was crafty and leading you astray. Yeah, okay, so you did go astray. You did commit your sin. Yeah, you did the wrong thing. What does that mean? Does that mean I'm forever an outcast? Look, I'm reading about this guy from 1 Corinthians chapter 5, and you talk about an unspeakable sort of sin. Nobody raises up in a household saying, you know, one day I think I'm going to marry my father's wife when he's gone. What? Nobody thinks of that. Not even the, the grossly, worldly, uh, captivated by Satan Gentiles. None of them even thought of such a thing. In fact, within that church is identified in, in Corinth a man who is involved in such a sin as is not even spoken among the Gentiles that he has his own father's wife. The church had to do something about that and had to do it swiftly. Stand up for the truth, but don't do it to the detriment of that soul. That soul is primary. So yeah, we want to come down hard on that sin. We want to eradicate the leaven. We have to do that because sin is destructive. But don't ever forget that we want to save the soul too. Friend, even though you have committed sin, such as not even spoken among the Gentiles, please don't give up. Please don't say it's over and I can't be saved because that is Satan's lie. What do we need? We need forgiveness. In Acts chapter 2, on the day of Pentecost, you know, the apostles, they were preaching to a hostile crowd. They were preaching to a crowd who had blood on their hands. The blood of none other than Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And Peter and the others say, well, you know, it was according to the determined purpose and foreknowledge of God, but you, you are the ones who have taken him with your lawless hands and you have crucified the Son of God. You did that. And as he continued preaching and giving proof after proof, fulfillment of Scripture, finally, it so weighed heavy on their hearts that even the God of this age couldn't quench their desire for salvation. And they cry out, men and brethren, what shall we do? What can we do about this heinous situation? We have crucified the Son of God. And they said, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For this promise is to you and to your children and those who are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. I ask you, what greater sin could you commit than nailing the Son of God on the cross? So whatever your sin is, don't give up. Don't be deceived by Satan. Don't let that... Don't let your adversary who wants to see you defeated win today. 
Don't let him whisper in your ear, it's all over. There's nothing can be done. I'm just going to give up because that is not what is available to you today. What's available to you today is the very thing that was promised not only on the day of Pentecost, but to subsequent generations, even into this very hour within the world that Satan reigns upon in the moment you can decide, I'm not giving up. I want forgiveness of my sin and I want it now. Satan has his end according to Scripture. Matthew chapter 25 verse 41 says that there is an everlasting fire that has been prepared for the devil and his angels. He has his end. He wants you to go with him. Don't let that happen. As long as you are living and breathing, there's opportunity for you to be saved. So if you're a child of God today and you have been unfaithful, do not listen to Satan that you should just keep that thing covered up or that you should just let it slide and maybe this thing will pass over. If there is sin unresolved in your life today, repent of that. Don't listen to Satan to stay seated and in your place. He will deceive you all day long. He will keep you a captive as long as he can. If you're not a child of God today, you can have freedom from sin. Washed in the blood of Jesus, you'll rise up out of the watery grave of baptism, a new creature, free from all of the accusations of the God of this world, of this moment. Don't let your fear of a public um, observation stand in the way of your obedience to the gospel today. Do not let Satan have his way with you. If there's anybody who needs to respond, now's your opportunity. Come for forgiveness while we stand together and sing.
of our worship in which we remember the sacrifice and the death of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. The emblems are prepared. If you do not have one, if you would, just raise your hand and the ushers will provide that for you here very shortly. But as we get ready to enter into this, I, of course, wanted to take just a brief moment and direct our thoughts and our minds back to Scripture. And in the Old Testament, in Exodus, the 12th chapter, it is there that one reads and sees the beginning of the Jewish feast of the Passover. It was to be commemorated when God passed over the houses of the Israelites that had the blood on the doorpost. And it is striking to me that that blood was to be derived from verse 5, a lamb without blemish, a male of the first year, the blood of the Lamb. And as you read on, you will see additionally that another element of the observance of this feast was unleavened bread. All leading us, as we read through the pages of Scripture, to the coming of our Lord and Savior Jesus, and then ultimately to his death upon the cross. The blood of the Lamb delivered Israel from the bondage of Egypt. The blood of Christ delivers us from the bondage of sin. And as we have on the scripture there on the screen, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 26, we are to observe and to remember this until he comes with that in mind, let us go to our God in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, we come to you ever so grateful for all that you have given us, but we come especially thankful for sending your Son, your only begotten Son, into this world to give us the hope and the promise of deliverance from sin, and we recognize at this time the price that was paid for that, his life, so that we might be able to live. As we partake of this unleavened bread, may we be ever reminded of his sufferings, and may we partake in such a way that is pleasing unto you. And for this we ask, and in Christ's name, amen. The fruit of the vine, of course, reminds us and is representative of the blood of which Christ shed for us upon the cross. And as we 
once more prepare to continue this observance, let us again remember the cost, the price that he paid so that we might have that hope. Let us again bow. Our Heavenly Father, we once more come to you, and again we thank you for the willing sacrifice of your Son Jesus as the Scriptures tell us that he secured our redemption with his blood. And as we partake of this emblem, the fruit of the vine, to remember that blood that was shed for us, may we always be grateful and may we always be worthy. And for this we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. Additionally, our monetary contributions, of course, is a function of our worship. It is how or a primary means by which the work of the church is carried out as well, a free will offering. We see that in both the Old and the New Testament, and as you can see there on the screen, there are some five different ways uh, for you to do that in whichever manner that you see convenient uh, for yourself. And so we encourage everyone to do that, as the scriptures say, as we have been prospered and not grudgingly nor of necessity. Let us pray. Our Heavenly Father, we once more approach you, thanking you again for all that you have given us. We thank you for sending Jesus unto us. But we likewise thank you for the various means that you have given us of employment or financial provision so that we may be able to give a portion back in, unto you upon the first day of the week and be with us here at the Boonville congregation and especially the elders as they oversee the allocation and disbursement of the funds and that all that is given and all that is sent out will be done into your glory and into your honor. And for this we ask, and in Jesus' name, amen. Good morning. Uh, on behalf of the elders, I welcome you to the Boonville Church of Christ and especially to our visitors. Um, one thing I don't share that um, Ken said, he was enthused about um, daylight savings time. I don't share your enthusiasm for that. I uh, just was given a note. Uh, there will not be a bulletin this week, but we do have one this week, so uh, if you have it in front of you, I will just mention a few things. Uh, we have 244 with us today, uh, worshiping also those online, um, not with us physically, 
let's see. Puppets will not meet today. Scrapbook will meet in the tack at 12.30. And I left my bulletin sitting on the pew, but I had a few notes in. But anyway, let's see if I can remember. Again, I echo um, the prayer mentioned by Jim for Hannah Argopek uh, as she was admitted to the hospital in critical care unit from having seizures and definitely needs all of our prayers. Uh, Marilyn Martin is out of the hospital, but we do need to continue to pray for her and her recovery. And I apologize if I missed something. I'm sure I did. Um, oh, I do remember one thing. There are boxes. Um, there's uh, one when you come in the foyer. There's one on that side, and there's one on the other side. They're yellow. And then there's one back by the church office. And they're for donations to the uh, Boonville Middle School. Um, for those in need, if you have any questions, uh, Andrea Barrett, um, is the coordinator here and uh, I will mention that our giving for that uh, greatly surpasses any uh, other um, places where they do take donations and I did help make the boxes last night I put the tape on them so I do know that anyway I'm sorry if I forgot anything uh, but if you would please uh, stand and we will uh, pray and be dismissed Heavenly Father, we're so grateful that we've been able to come together this morning. We're so thankful for the message that we have received. Father, may we always use thy word to defend against any evil which may try to intervene in our lives. May we always be aware of Satan. And may we always be aware of his intentions. And may we always remember, yes, that it is our weaknesses that he will try to take advantage of. May we start today and continue to defend against these and continue to help those who may be his target. May tomorrow be the day that we continue to defend and use thy word to better our lives and live for thee and help others as always. May we always remember there are those in need of our help and thy word and may we put all this together to bring everybody to Jesus. Father, we're so grateful and we're so thankful that you put all this together and we're so thankful that Jesus Christ did all he did, even though we do what we do, to save us eternally. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen.